Exodus 25, verse 10. And they shall make an ark of shittim wood, or acacia wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. We've been saying so often, as we've been doing these little talks, everything was pure in the tabernacle. Everything had to be pure. There was nothing that was impure within the tabernacle. There was a dwelling where God was going to dwell. Pure gold, within and without shalt thou overlay it, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof. And two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings in the other side of it. And thou shalt make staves of shit and wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be born with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. They were to stay there, because God was going to be with his people as they moved around. God is with us as we move around, through the power of his Spirit. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. And thou shalt make a mercy seat. There were two distinct sections here. There was the ark to be made and then it says thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the one end and on the other, and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat, shall the faces of the cherubims be. And they shall put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark shalt thou put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee. This is the wonderful thing, isn't it? And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. We come to the very central part um, piece of furniture that was going into the tabernacle, the ark. And we know where it was going. The central thing was the Ark of the Covenant. And you know, arks in Scripture give us the feeling of safety and security. We had Noah's Ark, and Noah was, and his family and the animals were protected within the Ark. Anything that was put into the Ark was protected. We have the little baby Moses, don't we, put into the Ark of Bulrushes. And what was put into the Ark was, was kept safe. And here we have the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, God was going to place his law, the Ten Commandments and all the rest of it. 
There's a verse in the Psalms which says, Justice and judgments are the habitation of thy throne. God was putting into the uh, Ark of the Covenant the set of commandments that he had given Moses. You remember the first set, as Moses came down from the mountain, he had the two tablets of stone, and he broke them. When he saw the, the sin that was taking place in the camp of Israel, Moses broke and dropped the, can, the, the two tablets of stone. And it's a picture of man breaking God's law. Man could not keep God's law. But in the Ark of the Covenant which was a covenant that God had with his people, God put the second set of the tablets of stone into the Ark of the Covenant. Because God will keep his covenant. God always keeps his covenant. You know, we have a lot of speculation about the Ark, don't we? We have films, the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, and we, we have, have all these stories about where, where is the Ark now? Some people say there are a lot of Jews in, in Ethiopia and they are minding it. They're minding something and they're guarding over something that we don't know where it is. Nobody knows where it is. But in scripture it is called different things. It's called the Ark of the Testimony. We generally call it the Ark of the Covenant because God has that covenant with, with his people, Israel. He said, I will come down and I will meet with you where this ark was. The ark of the testimony is called that because it contained in it the law and testimony of God. It was a type of Christ, wasn't it? In the bottom of that ark where the, the law was, it was based on judgment and righteousness. And we saw that as we read there that the ark was in two pieces. The ark was on the bottom and then he, and Moses was told to make on the top the mercy seat, which fitted over the ark. I have a, a, a drawing of it here, which shows it in, in two sections. We have the ark of the covenant down here on the bottom, and then this was the mercy seat with the cherubims on it, and that fitted in on top of the ark. You can see it fitted in, in here. And in the... In the ark where it put the tablets of stone uh, the, judge, the, the law of God and then on top of that stood the mercy seat sometimes called the ark of the Lord the Lord of all the earth, the ark of the Lord all the, 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 the Lord there is only one Lord of all the earth the ark of the God of Israel is another name for it ark of the God of Israel. What does the Bible say about the other gods? The gods of the nations are idols. It's only one God. The God of the children of Israel. There's another name for it was the, the ark of thy strength. God's strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength. In whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation, my high tower. The psalmist talking, God was the God of his strength. It was sometimes called the ark of thy strength. Let the words of my mouth, we know that 
verse from the psalm so often uh, repeated. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Then in Revelation, again, it's called the Ark of His Strength. John, in his vision of of, uh, heaven, saw the Ark of the Covenant in heaven. And the wonderful thing was, as we read those verses, God said, God, Jehovah, said that he would meet with his people in that place. God was present with Israel. How wonderful, you may think. must have been great for the children of Israel to know as they looked at the tabernacle that God was there present. How how fortunate they were that there was God dwelling with them. But, you know, we have stressed over the past weeks that Christ has come to dwell with us in the presence of his Holy Spirit. To the average Israelite looking at the tabernacle from a distance. He didn't know that personal relationship with God. He knew that God was there, that God of justice and judgment. Who must be approached with a sacrifice. How fortunate we are. That was in the age of the law. We are living in the age of grace. Jesus Christ, we have remembered today, came and he died. And we now have access into God's presence through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is dwelling within us. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. It's wonderful. God came down and dwelt with Israel. But Jesus Christ has come to dwell amongst men. Then he was crucified and he was buried and he rose again the third day and he said, I will pray the Father that he may send the Comforter to dwell with us forever. Even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it knoweth him not, neither uh, doesn't know him. We said there's a lot of talk about the resurrection, but not many people really know God as their heavenly father. The Israelites lived in the age of the law with the animal rituals and the animal sacrifices which we know pointed to the coming Messiah of the Jews. We live in the age of grace. What does it say in John? The word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You know, we could go on and talk about the the ark, and we will do it in uh, another day, but this is the day when we're thinking of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we look at the ark today in the light of that thought that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. You know, the death and the resurrection, as uh, George said in his prayer, is the center and basis of our faith. At his birth, when the Lord Jesus Christ was born, what was said? Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God 
with us. God with us. Yes, God had come to dwell with the children of Israel. He had come to, to dwell in the sanctuary, in the whole, most holy place. But you know, the priest could only go in there with a blood sacrifice once a year. One sacrifice for himself and one for the sins of the people. And there they met with God. The word was made flesh. Jesus Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. The word was God. It says he came unto his own and his own received him not. He came as the Messiah for the Jews and they didn't receive him. They didn't recognize him as to who he was. But you know he has come. And Paul says that the center of our preaching should be that Christ came and was crucified. And risen from the dead. If Christ be preached that he rose from the dead. How say some among you that there be no resurrection of the dead? You know we have uh, men in authority within churches denying the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. How say some among you. It happened in Paul's time. That there be no resurrection of the dead. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins, he says. There's no salvation without the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ being risen from the dead. You know, we were talking to that, about that friend of ours uh, a few weeks back who had been influenced by the Jehovah's Witnesses and uh, tried to point out to him that they did not believe in the deity of Christ, that Christ had risen from the dead. They didn't believe in that. He said, I'm not too sure whether I believe in it myself or not. A man who had held office in, 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 in the church wasn't sure whether he believed that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead or not. If we don't believe that, our faith is, is vain. We're yet in our sins. The high priest entered into the Holy of Holies. And there before him, and the only thing that was in that holy place, that most holy place, was the Ark of the Covenant. There was nothing else in there. It was... Ten cubits by ten cubits by ten cubits. A perfect cube. The building where he was. That section of it. He went in past the veil. And there stood the Ark of the Covenant. Where God was going to meet with his people. The throne of God on earth. Here was a place where God said he would dwell with his people. The glory of God in, in dazzling light surrounded it. talking about this last week you had a candle and candlesticks out in the holy place but in the holy of holies the glory of God it's called the Shekinah glory of God was there fortunately there was also a cloud surrounding it look at Exodus chapter 40 and see the description of what happened when the tabernacle was finished Exodus 40 and verse 34. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It filled actually the whole tabernacle in this instance, not just the most holy place. There was this uncommon brightness, luster, splendor, glorious light, which the eye of man could not well bear to look at. And if you look at 1 Kings 8, you'll see what happened when Solomon built built the temple where he wanted to put the Ark of the Covenant and to worship God permanently when Israel was settled. It came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Amazing that God came down in such power and glory that the priests couldn't bear to stand in God's presence. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord filled it. The ark here is yet again an emblem, a, a, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The brightness of his Father's glory. Dwelling in him and filling the tabernacle of his human nature. In Hebrews it says... Who being the brightness of his glory. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the brightness of the glory of God. Who being the brightness of his glory. And the express image of his person. And upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. In Colossians it says, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Christ was the express image of his Father and he was full of grace and truth. The brightness of his glory. And that glory which was seen in that tabernacle and in the temple is an expression of the glory which is in Christ Jesus. And someday we will see him face to face in all his glory, by and by. If we believe scripture, we must believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must. We must. See, the high priest entered into the most holy place with a blood sacrifice. He couldn't come into that presence of God without a sacrifice. He couldn't come in. He'd have been killed. God would have slain him. Unless he came into the presence of God, he had to have a blood sacrifice with him. That's the only way. So, how do we come into the presence of a holy God? We come into the presence of a holy God because the Lord Jesus Christ has offered himself to God as a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. And he has offered that sacrifice to God 
And because of that, we can go to him through our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it say in Hebrews? But this man, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. What the writer to Hebrews is saying, you know, the, the, in, in the law, when Aaron died, another high priest had to take over. And then another high priest had to take over. And also, they were sinners, like you and me. And they had to offer a sacrifice for their own sins before they could act, offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. But it says, Jesus Christ was different. This man, because he continueth forever, he is always there as our great high priest. Wherefore he is able to save to the uttermost them that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He's always there. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not, not daily as those high priests to offer sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Do you get it? Jesus Christ offered one sacrifice for sins forever. And then he sat down at the right hand of the Father and high. And then because he is there continually before his Father, we can go to God through our high priest who is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's another way it's said in Hebrews 9. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. His own blood, he was the offering and he was the, the priest offering the offering. For if the blood of goats and of bulls and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified through the purifying of the flesh, how much more should the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The wonderful truth that Christ is with us in our journey through the wilderness. You know, there were staves on this ark and it was to be carried as they went through that wilderness journey for 40 years, the ark was to go with them. It had to go with them. Went ahead of them. And as we go through this wilderness of life, we have that wonderful assurance that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us day by day. But you know, the sad thing about this whole business, they had that wonderful advantage over all the nations round about them. They had God dwelling with them. And you say, well, they couldn't go wrong. <laughs> but unfortunately, they did. You know, there's a story in 1 Samuel. And you all know the story so well, but we'll look at it briefly. 1 Samuel chapter 3. And it's an interesting story, and it's worth reading when you go home. First Samuel, start at chapter 3. We all know that Samuel, was, as a child, was brought uh, to the 
uh, old man Eli and old Eli at, at Shiloh where, the, where the, 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 the tabernacle had been there in a semi-permanent sort of state. And God spoke to Samuel. You know the story. God spoke to him and he thought it was old Eli who was, who was uh, calling him and eventually Eli said, I realize that this is God who is speaking to this young man. And he said, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And Samuel was told by God that Eli's family and uh, the priesthood was, was not right. And that they had strayed away. And Hophni and Phinehas, who were the sons of Eli, were <coughs> doing acts which were not in accordance with uh, God's will. In fact, the message was that God said, they have made light of me. Make sure we don't make light of the truths of God. That was one of the, the, the meaning behind it, that they have, they've made light of me. Don't make light of the things of eternity. Eli called him and said, what did God say? And, uh, poor old Samuel didn't know what to say, I'm sure. And Eli said, tell me the truth. You must tell me. And you have to tell him. This news that God was going to, to judge his family. And I, I, I think it was lovely the way old Eli accepted it. I wonder how we would have accepted it. It said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth good. Amazing. Then the, the, the Philistines and Israel went to battle. And the Philistines were defeating Israel. And Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, they went and got the ark. And they brought it into the battle. And the Philistines were, were very concerned when, they, when this had happened. Because they knew about the God of Israel. And they, 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 they were disheartened. And then they, they rallied. And they defeated Israel. And they captured the Ark of the Covenant. What a disaster. The Ark of God was taken and brought into the land of the Philistines. Word came back to Eli about what was happening. Hophni and Phinehas, they were killed in the battle. Eli was sitting, he was an old man, and he was sitting waiting to hear about the battle. When they told him what had happened, he fell backwards and broke his neck. His daughter-in-law was pregnant and she was expecting a baby. And she had an early delivery. And she died during childbirth but not before she, she called the child Ichabod the glory has departed from Israel and then she died altogether it was a disaster the ark was taken and the, 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 the Philistines knew that this was something special and they put it into their temple with their god Dagon Dagon was a fish part fish, part man, fertility uh, symbol. When they went into the, the temple the next morning, the, the, the idol had fallen in front of the ark of God. 
And then they put him up again and they brought him in again and he'd fallen again the next day and he'd broken part of his, uh, the idol on the threshold of the door. For that reason, when they went into the temple from then on in, they didn't stand on the threshold. They, they stepped over the threshold. God brought a plague of piles. These people got piles. And there was a plague of mice. And they, they kept shuffling the ark of God around the country for seven months. Nobody wanted it. Until they eventually they decided that they better try and get rid of it. The ark of God which was meant to be to the Israelites something so special. God dwelling with them was now being shifted around the country by a pagan country. And then they asked a question. What shall we do with the ark of the Lord. They got, they had a meeting, and that was the prime question. What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? What shall we do with it? And just quickly, what they did, the, 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 their priests decided that this God better be appeased and to make uh, golden mice and golden uh, piles and put them in a cart. They got a new cart and they got two cows that had calves and they yoked them up. They'd never been yoked before and they yoked them up and they said we will uh, send the, these cows away with the ark and if they go and don't come back we'll keep their calves locked up and if they go well we'll know that that was the reason why we had this epidemic and why we had all these mice. If they don't go we'll know it was just a, a pure coincidence. But they put the two cows into the, 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 the uh, yokes and put the car, hitched up the cart and the cows went back to Israel with the ark of God. But the story hinged on the fact they had to ask themselves what do we, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Israel had lost that wonderful presence of God during those seven months. And it's interesting what happens to the ark when it does come back to Israel. We'll, we'll look at that some other day. Many today do not know what to do about the Lord Jesus Christ. Pilate, during the trial of Jesus, asked the same question. What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And once a person has been challenged with that question, then they are responsible as to their eternal destiny. Once you're asked that question, once you are challenged about the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't be neutral. There's an old hymn we used to sing, and I, I copied it out last night. Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall. Friendless, forsaken, betrayed by all. Hearken, what meaneth the sudden call? What will you do with Jesus? Jesus is standing on trial still. You can be false to him if you will. You can be faithful through good or ill. What will you do with Jesus? Will you evade him as Pilate tried? 
or will you choose him whate'er betide? Vainly you struggle from him to hide. What will you do with Jesus? Will you like Peter, your Lord deny? Or will you scorn from his foes to fly? Daring for Jesus to live or die, what will you do with Jesus? Jesus, I give thee my heart today. Jesus, I'll follow thee all the way. Gladly obeying thee, will you say, this will I do with Jesus. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart may be asking, what will he do with me? It's very challenging. The Philistines wanted to get rid of him. The Ark of the Covenant. They wanted to get rid of it. Get it off their hands. Shuffle it around the country. And if they'd only realized what a wonderful treasure that was. That they had the, the, what the Israelites had discarded as it were. They had that place that God said he would dwell with them. And all they did was to try and get rid of them. Get rid of the ark. Get it back away from wherever they were. And that's the way it is with a lot of people today. They, they, they want to get, put Jesus Christ out of their mind. Put him on the sideline. But the verse and the chorus says, what will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart may be asking, what will he do with me? As we said at the start, the message of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is the whole center of our faith and our worship. And that's why we remember the Lord Jesus Christ in the breaking of bread and the drinking of the wine. Because it's central. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ dying for, for, for you and for me. It's central to our faith. It was central to the, the whole worship of the tabernacle. There was blood sacrifices, blood sacrifices all the time. Pointing to the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who one day would shed his, his precious blood and would be the one who could... Bring us close to God because he offered himself to God. His blood. For you and for me. We're going to remember the Lord Jesus Christ in the breaking of bread. So just let us pray first. Oh God our Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the picture we have of the Lord Jesus Christ in so many ways as we look at the tabernacle but above all we see in the Lord Jesus Christ where love and mercy met grace and truth are met together oh God we just thank you for Jesus Christ and for his shed blood Without the shedding of blood, we know that sin could not be atoned for. We thank you because the Lord Jesus Christ has died. 
we now have access into your holy presence. And as we come to eat at your table, the table which the Lord Jesus Christ has spread here for us, we want to just simply say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me my great salvation, so rich, so free. And so, Father, in simple faith, we just come and take these emblems, emblems of the body of our Lord broken for each one of us, for his blood poured out at Calvary. And help us as we take it, just to take it in simple faith and trust and thankfulness for Calvary. Calvary covers it all. My past with its sin and shame, my guilt and despair, Jesus took on him there. And Calvary covered it all. Amen.